0: From VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Joanna Sherino.
1: And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal.
0: And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. This week, we are joined by Tim McCurdy, senior staff writer, host of Cocktail College, my favorite podcast. Tim, <laughs> thank you for joining us in Adam's absence this week.
2: Thank you so much for having me. And I am literally sat in Adam's seat right now for today. (laughs) And maybe beyond. will (laughs) see. When,
1: uh, yeah, when the cat's away, the mice do play. Coming out to play.
0: (laughs) Um, Well, I guess we should, you know, keep this standard and talk about what we've been drinking lately. So, Zach, why don't you kick it off?
1: Sure, happy to. Um, so, you know, it's been a, a kind of a quiet week around my house, or at least, you know, as quiet as it can be with now two children running around, or, well, only one of them, <laughs> I guess. Um, I think the two things that I had lately that were really both um, pretty remarkable. So it's funny, um, after we did our tasting of the of the canned cocktails from Tip Top for last week's episode, uh, my wife was like, mm, I'm in a Negroni mood all of a sudden. So mm-hmm. we made a few Negronis over the last uh, few days, which... You know, Caitlin is definitely a little bit, you know, kind of reveling in the uh, freedom to have a little more to drink now that uh, she's no longer pregnant, which I certainly can empathize with. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other thing I had was we had some friends in town visiting and went out to uh, sushi, which is my son's favorite food. It's kind of (laughs) remarkable how much uh, salmon sashimi he will eat if I just keep ordering it for him. Um, (laughs) And I had some sake and... Uh, a Japanese lager Kieran. And I was like, I hadn't had that combo in a long time. I used to drink that, you know, when I would go to sushi pretty regularly, but we've mostly done, you know, to, you know, take out sushi lately. And, and even when we would go out, it was often a little bit more, um, uh, sedate. And I was just like, you know what, I'm not driving. I got, we got friends staying over, so I'm going to go for it. And, uh, <laughs> sake is a category that I wish I knew more about. Um, it's just like, I've never been able to kind of, you know, I know a little bit, but I've never been able to kind of dive into it just a, too much else, too much else beverage alcohol wise that I feel like I have to know about. And so, but that's also really fun for me because it means I can kind of just try stuff and be like, wow, I have no idea what to expect. This is kind of cool mm-hmm. Um, in a way that would never be true with wine or even, you know, beer or spirits or something like that. So it's kind of a, like uh, a little bit more of a, you know, I, I don't really know what I'm going to get when I order something or ask for a recommendation from the server. So that was kind of fun. Nice. How about you, Joanna? You had a, you had a big birthday. Or I did.
0: A birthday? I did. Yesterday was my, it was a birthday. Um, yesterday was my birthday and, uh, I, my partner Evan and I went to Temple Bar, which Adam already, you know, went to, so he kind of scooped me there, but, um, it's recently reopened. It was a bar that we used to go to all the time, um, back in the day. And then it closed a few years ago, It's recently reopened, as I said, and we went there last night and it was great. It's under new ownership and uh has a new bar program um but the interior is just as magical as it used to be um they kept it the same and uh for cocktails i had a blue negroni so another negroni um they use blue campari campari with a k um i tried to look this up but i don't (laughs) i don't know what it is (laughs) or why anyway the drink was very good though um we also had one of their house uh gibsons nice gibson is not a cocktail that i really uh order ever i don't think i've ever ordered a gibson but after the cocktail college episode about the gibson i really wanted to try one so i we got one of those as well and that was that was very good they do 50 50 gin and Menzanilla sherry with a splash or dash of sherry vinegar nice and an onion and oh, that was really oh. good yeah so great great experience great birthday what about you, Tim? Yeah,
2: one of, just quick note on the blue Negroni there. There's a there's a famous bar, I'm sure Adam's probably talked about it on the podcast before, though, called Clumsies in Athens. He sent me there. Uh-huh. I, I was there over the summer. And they famously have a blue Negroni as well. Mm-hmm. It's like the Aegean Negroni, I think it's called. But I'm not sure what they're using. Is this a trend? There's two, so we just need one more right. and then it's a trend. <laughs> it's happening.
0: Well, I just thought I was so curious because it's at like, this is a, you know... Recently reopened, trendy New York City bar for them to have a blue Negroni.
2: It's so weird, isn't yeah. it? Did it taste like a Negroni?
0: Yes, it tastes like a, a Negroni. It was a little, a little less bitter than mm-hmm. a classic Negroni, um, but very, very delicious.
2: Sounds wonderful. Mm-hmm. So for me, this weekend. I think I drank about four martinis, kind of standard, you know, so that's, that's boring. We'll get, we'll get past the martinis. Uh, Actually, on Saturday night, we went out, my my girlfriend and I went out for dinner with friends, you know, wine friends, everyone Mm. has those wine friends and you're like, you know, you, you're going to go somewhere nice for dinner. And we actually went to a restaurant here in New York um, on St. Mark's Place Mm -hmm. called Che Lee. Um, and I, I, I don't really go to St. Mark's Place very often. Um, but <laughs> for, like, good,
0: for good reason.
2: So this is like this hidden gem in the middle of St. Mark's Place, but it's not hidden because you cannot reserve there and you need to put your name down on a waiting list beforehand. So we were like, great. Angel shares around the corner. We will go and get a cocktail there and then we'll put our name down and we'll probably get in straight away, right? Like we'll go down at like five, we'll get cocktails angel share was weirdly shut anyway we went down put our names down they're like yeah we have table we have a table in two and a half hours
0: oh my goodness wow
2: (laughs) and so like this place is really hard to get into but we really wanted to go because it was byob as well Mm -hmm. so we ended up going back to angel share which is a bar that i love and um had a favorite cocktail of mine there it's called the Pormia grape Mm -hmm. um it's kind of like a twist on a martini Mm -hmm. but with a very nice infused grape is the garnish. And then I had something weird that I don't remember the name of, but it was a, um, it was kind of a gin cocktail that was infused and I think fat washed with yogurt and it was delicious. Mm. And I was surprised to kind of see that work, but it was amazing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, quite a weekend.
0: What kind of a, what kind of grape was it? Just out of curiosity. It's a Concord grape,
2: a very, I'm not sure. It seems to be a very specific grape. It's mm-hmm. a red grape um But it's a very dark red. I'm not sure whether that's because of the infusion, but it's it, it's quite firm actually. But really incredible. I always mix up the name. I think it's peel me a grape. Anyway, we, we digress. Okay, yeah,
1: <laughs> great. The interested folks can check out the Angel Share website if they want. The name, right, exactly. They name can the do. Cocktail, and I'm at
2: least sure. I have no complaining stories about waiters. So. Right,
1: <laughs> that's true. Well, I mean, someone. Neither none, none of us came prepared with gripes I, I like. <laughs> I took. We went out to. As I said, we went to sushi. It was lovely, but like. It was my first time, also taking my son inside a restaurant to eat in, you know, since the pandemic started. Because mm-hmm. the King County, which is where Seattle is, uh, just recently kind of passed its own uh, vaccine mandate for indoor dining, so it made us feel a little more comfortable. And we ended up at a table very far away from anyone else, so it was actually nice. Uh, quite nice. But no complaints about service. Sorry, listeners who were hoping on <laughs> that. Adam will be back next week. I'm sure he'll have <laughs> lots to say. Um, so we wanted to talk. You know. In, knowing we were going to have you on, Tim, we wanted to talk about a cocktail um, that is both arguably trendy again. Um, I don't know if we have three specific examples, but I've seen <laughs> it out in the wild a bunch. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you haven't covered on Cocktail College, may or may not in the future, I guess uh, people have to tune in to hear. Mm-hmm. But it hasn't come up yet. And that's the espresso martini. And, and I wanted to start our conversation with this point, which is like when I got into service and into bartending, the espresso martini was one of these, this, this sort of broader category of, it fit into a couple of category of drinks, I guess I should say. And I want to kind of talk about it and its trendiness through all of these lenses, if we can, over over the course of the conversation. The first was, it's your like classic-ish mix of upper and downer, i.e. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. caffeine and alcohol and uh, whether rendered uh terrifyingly as four loco or a little more classy in the more classy fashion like an espresso martini or an irish coffee or whatever that's obviously a combo that people enjoy so mm-hmm. so i want to i want to talk about it in that context but i also want to talk about it in the context of like after dinner drinks and and especially the kind of like after dinner cocktail cuz cuz you know your your ports and your scotches and your what you know your amari are all one kind of thing but this idea of a cocktail who's main time of consumption is kind of as dessert or with dessert is really interesting to me. And, and I wanted, since we have you on Tim in particular, I wanted to kind of talk about it and, and, and what, how we feel about this kind of category. Cause I, I rarely personally, when, when dining out, um, would order a cocktail as, as or part of dessert, but I will admit, I do enjoy an espresso martini quite a bit. (laughs) Um, and so, um, yeah, so, so let's start maybe with this. Um, and, and for both of you, Joanna and Tim, when we think about this sort of category of cocktails or drinks that include caffeine and alcohol, like, what, how do you feel about that? Is that something that you, uh, you know, recoil from at this point or, or enjoy or what?
0: Um, well, I think that, as you mentioned, Zach, that there are two categories of that particular type of concoction, right? You have mm-hmm. your four locos and you have your Red Bull and vodkas. Um, and yeah. then you have like your espresso martinis and your Irish coffees and, and more maybe refined, um, examples. I, I don't know that I would go for the former. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had a four loco. Um, when it included in caffeine and when it stopped including caffeine. I have had a vodka red bull but it's not something I <laughs> order often. Um, it's I think when I when I have an espresso martini and I have ordered them because I think they're very delicious. It's not necessarily because of the caffeine. It's not because of that, right? Mm-hmm. It's not because mm-hmm. it's an upper and a downer. That's okay. not really mm-hmm. why I I would get it. I like the taste of it. Yeah. Um so
2: yeah, I would agree there um I'm never really thinking about caffeine, whether, you know, if it's in the drink or not, like, it's funny that you that you bring this point up, Zach, because I think it is a very interesting part of this conversation. And especially Mm -hmm. like, yeah, there are highbrow versions of alcohol with caffeine and Mm -hmm. lowerbrow versions. But I never really think about it in terms of that. For me, it's just more like the coffee. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Coffee being something that I don't know. As you get older, it's a flavor that you enjoy more, and uh-huh. maybe it seems like a sophisticated way to, and also an easier way to get into cocktails. And I think we can chat about that later. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah n- neither neither of the styles of uppers and downers are really drinks <laughs> that I tend to gravitate towards. Um, don't don't order too many espresso martinis myself.
1: Mm-hmm. See to me, what I find kind of interesting about all this and maybe we're not the best representative sample as professionals in some sense Mm -hmm. but i do think that for a lot of people even if they wouldn't necessarily you know cop to it or even recognize it that, that there's something about like the espresso martini and drinks of that ilk as like you're finishing a meal perhaps. I mean, that's often where I think a lot of people encounter it. Although of course you can go into cocktail bars and order them and people might just have them at any old time. But for a lot of people, it's like, I think of them as like, you're finishing one part of your evening and transitioning into the next. Mm -hmm. And that like the, the presence of caffeine there, even if people are not aware of it or thinking about it as like, Oh, you know, I want to stay awake for a while longer. Like it is relevant there. And I think that, you know, I remember working in a bar years ago and, um, And, you know, the espresso martini was a drink we made from time to time. It was, you know, a restaurant bar, but I was bartending at this place. And having a whole conversation um, among the bartending staff about, like, do we always make this drink with you know, regular espresso or do we make it with decaf or whatever. And and mm-hmm. I was strongly of the belief, and I am to, and I am to this day, that unless someone asks you for decaf, you should not serve them decaf. Like that is, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. someone is ordering <laughs> yeah. an espresso martini. They're expecting espresso and we don't right. really know what they're intending to do. And and obviously like, you know, if someone's tired and goes home, it's not like the end of the world. Probably better in some cases, of course. But but it's not really my job to impose in that regard. And so I I think that that it's it's important to note that the even if the you know for both of you and and frankly for me too it's not necessarily the only reason i want the drink is because i want alcohol and caffeine obviously there are other ways to get that um (laughs) but but it is i think a relevant point and a relevant part of the experience of the drink Mm -hmm. and i mean the other part of it is like i haven't yet to had like decaf espresso that i thought was any good Mm -hmm. um like i'm I'll drink decaf coffee on rare occasions, but like decaf espresso. Ugh. And so you <laughs> kind of lose something in the cocktail if you do make it with decaf. With my experience it was about my other reason for not wanting to do it is just like, why are we making a worse version of this drink? Just because we, I don't know, don't want someone to stay awake, I guess. I don't mm-hmm.
0: know. Yeah, that's such a that's such a weird thing. I would never even think to make it with decaf no. espresso. But but it's interesting that you. I mean, you bring this up and in and, and kind of researching This before we were discussing it now, every article that has been written, pretty much every article that's been written about, you know, the espresso martini being back has has used the upper downer thing as Mm -hmm. it a reason for why it's so popular now, which I think is really interesting. Like people need that right now, you know.
2: (laughs) I I don't know. I I I really don't buy into that. But I'm interested to hear one thing from you as well, (laughs) Juliana, which is like I. Do you not associate the espresso martini as being an end-of-the-night drink? I mean, I, for me, it's this is one that a lot of people kick the night off with. Am uh, I yeah. completely wrong with that?
0: No, I think I. Th- that's how I would take... I mean, I get that yeah. it's sweet and it's coffee I, and a I, lot of people yeah. have that after dinner and that makes sense. And, and to Zach's point, like if, if that's where your night is kind of beginning, mm. sure. But for me, <laughs> I would rather have it before the night begins or before dinner and I would like to advocate for it as a brunch cocktail. Does that not oh, make yes, a lot yes. of sense? Maybe like, that is on. the
1: perfect place for the espresso martini.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: For sure. That's a mm-hmm. really yeah, no, good I, idea. I, I think that's a good point, Tim. And I think you're certainly right. And, and maybe in different contexts, you would see it as a totally viable, you know, aperitif cocktail. I mean, it certainly brings bitterness into play, which is a you know kind of a key component in my eyes in any kind of aperitif drink. Um, but but it's so well depending on how it's made. But it's often so sweet that to me it is a little bit like I, I've always thought of it as dessert. Mm-hmm. And, and bartending, I would say you know eighty five to ninety percent of the bar, of the espresso martinis I made were were for people who are finishing their meal or were just having dessert or whatever. It was not a you know it was not a happy hour drink. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. At least That's, in my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that the brunch part is really interesting. And I also – and I want to I talk about that. I also think about it a lot as being a, a, a coffee cocktail that's cold being such an unusual – not completely um, anomalous. But, like, we think about coffee drinks and most – at least for me, you know, think about hot coffee drinks, right? And mm-hmm. those have a totally different experience. Literally, like, you're engaging with the flavors of the coffee differently. The sort of things that work well with it are a little bit different, Um and you know, it's service-wise is different. All these things, and to me, there's something that's very you know, it's it's like not surprising in a way that in this era where like I think among a certain set, cold brew is at least as popular as hot coffee. That this cold coffee drink has become you know had a resurgence for sure. That there's something about hmm. like cold coffee that no that, like cold coffee when I came up in the restaurant, she was like, you know, that was the that was the thing that gets you like you know. uh an angry email or, you know, eventually a bad Yelp review, right? Like no one wanted their coffee cold. And, and now, you know, uh, you know, like I said, cold brew is being one example, but also just this, this cocktail, like people are finding that to be more appealing. I don't know.
2: I, I I think, I think that's an interesting point. I think Mm -hmm. that's correlation more than causation, uh, Mm -hmm. because otherwise I I don't see anyone drinking, you know, white Russians or whatever anymore, you, you know, and like Classically with, you know, your Kahlua in there too. So I don't think it's to do with serving temperature of coffee. I don't know. Okay. I think before we move on, what one point that we should add, which is very famous and kind of like the the backstory of this cocktail. And to my mind, the only thing that's relevant when it comes to uppers and downers, which is the, the origin of this cocktail. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it has an incredible story, right? The you know, for anyone who's listening who might not have heard it before, This is a a, um, brasserie in London in Mm -hmm. the early 1980s. And it's a guy called Dick Bradsell, who's essentially, you know, London's answer to Dale DeGroff, godfather of cocktails here in New York. And famously, some people say it was a supermodel. Some people say it wasn't. It was just a very good looking um, woman, I believe, came up (laughs) to the bar and asked for a drink that would um, fuck me up, then wake me up. Sorry for oh. the uh, kind of rough language there, but that's that's the origin story and yeah. that's mm-hmm. that's the genesis of the espresso martini. And interestingly too, actually, when it when it was born, it was it was the vodka espresso was the name. Right. The espresso martini comes later. So for me that's the only thing that really matters about the upper downer. That's it's mm-hmm.
1: that genesis story. Right. Tim does it drive you crazy that it has that it's appended with martini? No, I, I, well, I that mean,
0: happened later, right? In the yeah. martini phase. But yeah. I know that
1: but I know that you I think generally dislike that uh <laughs> you know suffix if you will call it that or whatever, uh for any drink that's served in that kind of glassware.
2: <laughs> I mean I don't think I, I don't think it's a martini, but I'll say this, I think it says a lot about how cocktail culture has evolved and it's also mm-hmm. to do with the name there too, right? Like we went from a drink called the Vodka Espresso and then we started calling it the Espresso Martini. And it's served in the martini glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that says a lot about this drink, which is basically you order this drink when you're maybe when you're starting out at bars and you want to look sophisticated. Mm-hmm. So the martini glass makes everything look sophisticated. It's a beautiful looking drink. And it's also very easy to to enjoy because it's sweet, it's bitter, and it's vodka. So there's there's no flavor of booze there. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's, yeah, this kind of idea of trying to buy sophistication. I don't know.
1: Yeah. No, you're right. The visual appeal of it is obviously a huge part of it. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's that the presentation would not work. I don't think in anything other than a martini glass or a coupe or something, you know, served up and, and sort of elegant. And, and it's interesting too. I don't know, you know, not to get too wonky in terms of how drinks are made, but again, we have you on Tim. So we might as well a little bit. This is like a, a to me, a fascinating cocktail where like when I'm, when I would make them, you really have to pay attention to the texture of the drink it's a it's a very it's very easy to get it wrong i think um to undershake the drink frankly mm-hmm. um because if you get it wrong it separates or at least that's been my experience and like that isn't obviously what you want with any drink but you are bringing a lot of different ingredients together in in a fashion that is and 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 when you're mixing a hot ingredient like a shot of espresso with you know and then immediately chilling it i think there's there's a lot there like it seems like a drink that should be Uh, It should be hard to mess up, but I think it's actually a a more difficult to make drink well than people think. And that's another reason why I think I have a certain admiration for it as a cocktail. And even though as a bartender, you know, having to step away from the bar to pull a shot of espresso if you had to was never like my favorite thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, It was it was a drink that I took pride in making, which which wasn't always true for all the drinks I made. Mm
0: -hmm. No, I was just going to say that I think that there are a lot of badly or poorly made espresso martinis out there. And now that. They're back and maybe we can discuss that a little bit like is is it indeed back i feel like i'm seeing them on and menus everywhere from you know last night at temple bar they have a a version of an espresso martini but also at like a you know old school italian restaurant that i went to this past weekend they had an espresso martini on the menu (laughs) and i just found that so curious and so funny because because, yeah, like this trend is clearly um, working its way uh, across New York City and maybe the rest of the country. I don't know. Um, and and so when when Evan ordered the espresso martini at the old school Italian restaurant, <laughs> uh it was, I don't, I don't know that, that it was like properly made. It didn't have mm. the big foamy, you know, mm. frothy top that we like to see. It, it did have the requisite three espresso beans, but it was kind of, um, it was like tan mm. and not, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it wasn't, yeah. I don't know what it was made, made with, but I also just think that the people who are drinking espresso martinis right now maybe don't care so much mm. about how they're made. Mm -hmm. what do we think it depends on
1: where you're drinking it too right if you order at a temple bar i think you have right right right, yes of of course Mm -hmm.
2: but also temple bar is a very trendy spot right now it's very hard to get into it's a classic Mm -hmm. new york place but it's you know it got written up in the times the week before it opened and Mm -hmm. it's it's you know right there next to soho right so Mm -hmm. like um i think that i think that with the espresso martini right There's a couple of things when it comes to making it that maybe can make it easier, right? Um, And and maybe I would be surprised if more bars aren't doing this. So, like, Zach, you mentioned the fact of using hot espresso and it has to be fresh. Mm -hmm. Like, that is the thing that really historically has pissed off bartenders about (laughs) this cocktail. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Since the kind of late 90s, early 2000s, when it was its original kind of, you know, like... first 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 peak yeah it's first peak exactly (laughs) now we have cold brew concentrate and i would be surprised if a lot of bars are not using that Mm -hmm. um jeffrey morgenthaler has a great recipe on his website he does a lot of like home experiments famous bartender and he that's that's what he uses for his recipe and he has Mm -hmm. a recipe for making it so i would be surprised if more aren't doing that
0: temple bars is with cold brew yeah Mm -hmm. oh interesting
2: yeah, that makes, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it's just easier for consistency and mm-hmm. whatnot, right? But yeah, I, I th- think kind of the, the conversation is going this way too. But I think it depends who's drinking it. I also think that most people don't care how it tastes. It's how it looks. This is an Instagram drink, mm-hmm. like 100%. Mm-hmm. I think people would rather that it looks good than it the, the, the taste tastes completely good. balanced. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we could kind of liken this maybe to the Cosmopolitan, hundred percent, and what we saw happen with the Cosmo earlier this year is still happening. I want to kind of say, is this drink Chugi? (laughs) Chugi, Chugi,
2: (laughs) Chugi. I think no. I think it's absolutely the opposite. I think I think (laughs) the people who call us Chugi are the people that are drinking this right now, Um, and. I think that's a really great point, though, about the Cosmo. Mm-hmm. I think there's so many similarities there. Um, they were born in the same era, both 80s drinks, but became popular in the 90s. And also they look great. But to, to my mind, it goes back to that kind of sophistication thing again. So, right, like there's this idea that we're, that, you know, that a certain generation is looking back to the 90s for fashion and mm-hmm. what's cool now. Yep. But the espresso martini does look more elegant and sophisticated than a Cosmo. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why this is becoming more popular now. Than th- is it overtaking the Cosmo?
1: Well, maybe seasonally too. You know, mm-hmm. not that the Cosmo has a season exactly, but you know, given the ingredients and the flavor profile, it feels more like a spring summer drink than a fall winter drink. And and mm-hmm. you know, even though this is a cold cocktail, it still has a lot of those kind mm-hmm. of you know wintery flavors, or at least works well in this time of year. I wanted to I wanted to ask since I can't weigh in on the you thing, because I'm, you know, a <laughs> I barely two, can. I can't even say it properly. <laughs> clinically uncool. Um, Tim, do you think one of the other things that might have changed with this drink over time is more options when it comes to coffee liqueur? Because to me, that's the other mm-hmm. interesting thing here is when I made it um, in my bartending career, we never had a. Well, not, I don't really remember ever having a coffee liqueur other than Kahlua on the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, may, maybe one bar we had we made some sort of coffee thing. I never remember what it was a long time ago, but um, but basically, you know, there was not the proliferation of other options out there, and and you might be able to get a more interesting and and balanced and and enjoyable cocktail. Not that everything gets kahlua, but but it's it's a specific coffee kind of flavor. It's not as it's not as pure coffee as you can find these mm-hmm. days.
2: I think that that is why you might find a bar like Temple Bar, for example. Mm-hmm making this drink now because of the proliferation of these mm-hmm. cold brew liqueurs. That's I, a good point. Yeah. i I personally, I struggle with this one because the main one, everyone knows the main one, right? It's Mr. Black. Mr. Black yeah. that's, sure. that's the one. And they've made incredible inroads with the bartending community. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of drinks writers too, that love it. And I've just always struggled with it myself. Personally, I go back to it time and time again, different bottles I've never been able to, I just don't get it. Like it doesn't, (laughs) I want to enjoy it because I feel like there's something wrong with me. But I actually, honestly, an espresso martini, I prefer it with Kahlua. But I think I have a little bit of a sweet tooth and I'm Mm. saying that I'm in the minority there. But I definitely think that has to do with it. That, yeah, we have coffee liqueur now is
1: serious as well.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: At a minimum, you have options and you can do the thing that certain bartenders and bars like to do, which is, you know, iterate and mm-hmm. explore, you know, you're not kind of bound by only having uh, one thing in the category that you can toy with. I also think like, you know, certainly you're seeing in some of these examples um a lot of variation. Even if the, you know, even if the vodka component is nominally kind of mm-hmm. just there for, for alcohol. Like certainly I've worked places where we made it or would make it to order with, you know, vanilla vodka, things like that. Like it's a hmm. it's a way to incorporate in flavored vodkas if you choose to, mm-hmm. um, and you can get interesting results. Actually I will be completely honest, uh maybe my my personal favorite version was actually with um uh, absolute mandarin which worked surprisingly well hmm. um and added just like a, i mean i really like uh, coffee and orange like i often will get a simple espresso drink we'll put a little bit of orange zest in there um i really like that combo not everyone does hmm. um but you know there's a lot you can do with it and again we live in this world now where, where coffee um and coffee flavors have gotten more sophisticated i was going to say what what i meant to mention earlier and and can't believe i forgot setting aside cold brew like really what we're also seeing is an entire generation that is now stepping into drinking um it has over the last half decade that was raised on you know frappuccinos Um, Mm -hmm. and this is also that right this is basically just a, a small scale boozy frappuccino and that's i think a big part of its comeback appeal too is not just hearkening back to the 90s but also to like this is a flavor set that people who are in their early twenties, many of them may have been drinking, you know, having this flavor for a decade or more. So it's not it's not like, you know, I mean, it's not like a a purely adult, sophisticated allure. It's also like a familiar set of flavors right. with some booze at it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and and in reading about like the origin of this drink too, when when Dick Bradsell made it. It was kind of a new flavor combination, right? The vodka yeah. and the coffee um, and the simple syrup to kind of tie it together. But that's well, a really Well, remember,
1: good... like, for all of us, it may seem silly, but for an older generation, like, espresso was an exotic thing mm-hmm. at one point. You know, in, in the early 80s, a lot of places, maybe not in London, I don't know, but in a lot of places, uh, even here in Seattle, you know, home of Starbucks right, right. Mm. Um, in the early 80s, mid 80s, it was, you know, the idea that a bar would have an espresso machine. You know, now we take it as a given, right? Who doesn't have an espresso machine? Mm-hmm. But it was definitely not the case. Even when I got into the restaurant industry in the early 2000s, you know, the places I worked did, but there were plenty of restaurants that didn't. Um, and it's become more of a, you know, must have kind of thing. But but that that incorporation of those flavors and especially this sort of strength of espresso into uh, American life is, is definitely somewhat recent.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And I think as you know, people have espresso makers at home or maybe like Nespresso and (laughs) over, over the past 18 months or so coffee has been, you know, such a, such a big part of life at home. And then we saw the proliferation of coffee drinks like Dalgona coffee and things like that. Um, and people wanting to make cocktails at home as well. Um, it kind of makes sense that this would be a drink that would regain some popularity.
2: Yeah. And if you do make one if you do master it at home mm-hmm. it is again like going back to the appearance it does look great you feel like you've achieved mm-hmm. something you put those three coffee beans on the top it looks <laughs> it looks so iconic um do we all think it is
1: trending though that's a that's a question that I want to know like do do we actually I 100% do and here's my reason why In addition to just like talking about seeing it places, Mm -hmm. I think it fits very, 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 very comfortably into this category of two categories that we discussed. We discussed the first, which is, you know, 90s throwbacks, Mm -hmm. um, which is obviously undeniably having a moment. The other reason is, is despite what we just said about people getting more experimental with their, you know, coffee making at home and and maybe taking more of it into their own hands. It also very much fits into a cocktail that probably most people are not. Going to make at home, even mm-hmm. maybe during the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you were willing to make it with Nespresso if you have that. Most people don't have an espresso machine at home, and and it's just the kind of drink where, like, you know, my experience with it always, as a bartender and even as a drinker, was like, I mean, I just don't want to mess with it at home, right? Like, you want it in the hand. Maybe if you're the kind of person that that Tim was talking about, who doesn't give a shit about what it tastes like, fine, whatever you want. <laughs> but even then, if you want it to look good, you want someone who knows what they're doing to make it. Yeah, and. And like I said at the beginning, it's not easy to get right. And like, if you're for an inexperienced bartender, it's actually a pretty tricky drink to nail, uh, especially visually, but also the taste. And and like, it just fits neatly into what I've seen and and anticipated seeing as the you know as people return to bars more and more, um, sort of fervently. And it's just like drinks that people were not going to make at home, um, did not make at home, but that they really want to have. And mm-hmm. so like, it just. It, it fits into those two categories pretty cleanly. So, so I mean, I don't know that it's going to have the same moment it had in the '90s into the early 2000s, uh, but I wouldn't say it's impossible.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you do think? You disagree, Tim? Tim? Yeah,
1: I don't
2: necessarily disagree. I think. Um, And I don't want to kind of uh, go against the vine pair line here in a way, but I think it's definitely (laughs) infiltrated more cocktail menus Mm -hmm. than the Cosmo did. And I Mm -hmm. think there were many, you know, we spoke a lot about the Cosmo on this show and we've written about it. But I think I I definitely see it more places than that. I think this is not a very good answer. I think it ultimately it depends where you're drinking, Mm -hmm. right? Like (laughs) it, it, it depends what age you are and the types of bars that you go to in a certain extent not not completely because mm-hmm. uh, you know i love this idea of having it at this old school italian place and mm-hmm. what could be more what could be more italian by the way espresso
1: and martini it's mm-hmm. so italian yeah. but i uh, assure you that espresso martini at that old school italian place has been on that menu since the 90s probably like yeah. it didn't it didn't drop off and come back it's been <laughs> yeah, yeah, could yeah. Get one there every year since 1994 <laughs> almost certainly
0: i think this was a great chat uh, thank you so much for joining us, Tim, and for lending your expertise. Um, and Zach, great to chat as usual. Thank you both.
2: Thank you.
1: Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, Vine Pair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the Vine Pair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making the show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.